Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. An ambulance is hurtling towards the emergency room, and the paramedic explains to Mr. Golden, I'm sorry, you've had another heart attack. The patient lies on the gurney and is wondering, why aren't they putting oxygen on me? Hi, this is Frank Domino. With me today is Alan Ehrlich. He's an associate clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and executive editor for Dynamed. Today he's with me to talk about the management of acute MI and in particular the use of oxygen. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate you coming. So what's this latest update on the use of oxygen in the, ca- in the setting of an acute myocardial infarction? Well, the issue has to do with giving oxygen to patients who are not hypoxic. So if you have normal oxygen, uh, a pulse ox saturation, do you benefit from supplemental oxygen? This has been a question in medicine for some time. Clearly, with myocardial ischemia, we think, well, the heart's not getting enough oxygen, so let's give it more oxygen. On the other hand, of course, if the artery is blocked and the blood isn't flowing, you may be giving oxygen to other parts and not getting it to where you want. So this has been a theoretical issue for some time in terms of is there benefit? And I think the bias has been, well, let's just give oxygen, can't hurt. And there's really been some data coming out over the last couple of years that have started to question that. And so this Cochrane looked at five randomized trials and found no benefit for patients who had oxygen saturations greater than 94%, uh, whether they were given supplemental oxygen or not, there was no, no advantage. So just to be clear, this is something I learned in residency in medical school probably. So everyone doesn't get oxygen in the face of acute MI. Right. So this is something that the American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association, they've been shifting their position from we should give oxygen, uh, we, should, we should perhaps give it for the first six hours. And in the latest versions of the guidelines, uh, in terms of the American College of Cardiology's recommendation for STEMI, they only recommend oxygen for patients who have heart failure, who have dyspnea, or who have hypoxia. And if you look at the American Heart Association resuscitation guidelines, they, they take a more neutral stance. It's interesting because they're the same organization, but when they look at it from two different perspectives, they give slightly different advice. But again, they say consider withholding oxygen from patients with normal levels of uh, oxygen by, as measured by pulse ox. So it's oxygen. It's, it's something that's, that we, we need and it's everywhere. What could possibly be the harms? of giving oxygen to someone who's having an acute MI. Well, it's, it's funny you say it's something that we need uh, because there's lots of things in medicine and in life that in small amounts is really valuable, in fact, maybe necessary, and in large amounts can be toxic. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about sodium or potassium. I was uh, thinking wine. <laughs> well, the thing about oxygen is, you know, we know, for instance, if you're a little baby and you're, you're having breathing problems and we put you on oxygen, too much oxygen can lead to long-term health problems. So 
we know oxygen is not entirely benign. It's a very active chemical, and it has to, uh, it's certainly life-sustaining, but it doesn't mean there can't be harms associated with it. There was a randomized trial recently where they, uh, this was done in Australia, and they randomized patients at the level of being, when the ambulance was called, to getting oxygen or to room air if your pulse ox was over 94%. And not only did they not find a benefit, but six months later when they were assessing the heart using uh, magnetic resonance imaging, they found larger infarct size in the group that had been randomized to oxygen. That group also had higher rates of recurrent myocardial infarctions. That's remarkable. So patients who have good pulse oxes while they're being transported, they're not short of breath, they're not, they're not dyspneic, they can get just room air and they're actually, there's some data that supports that they even do better than those that we apply oxygen to. That's right. That's, that's really remarkable. Are there any uh, non-measured benefits? Are there any psychological benefits per se? You're, you're, you're anxious, you've just been told you've had a heart attack, you're, you're riding in an ambulance. Is there any benefit to having the oxygen other than infarct size? So this has been looked at, but uh, if you look at, for instance, the amount of pain medication people need, there's no advantage uh, in the oxygen group. So a lot of times I think we project our own insecurities onto the patients, and so we think the patient will feel better if they have oxygen. What that really means is I'll feel better if the patient has (laughs) oxygen. And so my experience with patients is the ability to, you know, if you can clearly articulate that there's a reason why you're doing it. It's not just, oh, I forgot to put the oxygen on. No, your oxygen level is normal. And we have found through data that you don't get any benefit. So it's one less thing. One of the things we do know is that the whole experience of going to the hospital in the ambulance is very stressful. And so when you hook people up to IVs and you put oxygen on them and you're doing all these things, you may think you are reassuring them, you are reassuring yourself. And patients will do just as well with verbal reassurance uh, in those situations, at least in my opinion. Alan, this is a curious bit of data, and it's going to be practice-changing if it's not already practice-changing. Maybe talk a little bit about how this study was done, because it seems to me you're lying on that ambulance gurney, you're, you're hurtling through town, you've got crushing chest pain, and, and someone says to you, hey, Mr. Golden, um, we're doing this study. Do you want to have oxygen or do you want to have air? Um, what, how, how could they do this ethically? So first of all, you know, the, the, the recent data is based on a Cochrane, which is a uh, systematic review of five randomized trials. These trials date from 1976 to 2015. And so you have a range. Some of this is being done in the era of pre-revascularization. Uh, there's a variety of scenarios of how they did the studies. In some studies, the patients are getting oxygen before they arrive at the hospital where they then get randomized. And then you have to say, well, how valuable is that data? Are you really showing a difference between oxygen and room air? So there, there are dilemmas about this. There was a study, the one I mentioned before, out of Australia in 2015. And what they did was the ambulance drivers had randomized uh, codes in sealed envelopes And then they simply randomized the patients to one of two groups, either oxygen or room air. And when they got to the hospital, that's when they sought informed consent. And it turned out very few patients, only a handful, 
decided they wanted to not be in the study, and the rest were fine with having been randomized to one or the other, and they didn't know which they were getting. So, uh, so patients are okay with this. They call that delayed uh, uh, consent, and I think you know you can argue the merits of that, but in an acute setting, the vast majority of patients are relying on clinician judgment. So if, again, there was uncertainty as to the benefit in the first place, so we're not, it was not clear at all that there was harm being done to these patients. There had been another systematic review done a number of years ago looking at three randomized trials that also had questioned this, which is why over time the guidelines had been backing off of the benefits of oxygen in patients who are not dyspneic or in heart failure or who are overtly hypoxemic. Alan, this is a great example of evidence-based medicine, taking uh, a standard practice that we assume made logical sense, evaluating it critically through randomized controlled trials, and coming up with a conclusion that can be concrete and dramatically, and dramatically changes practice. So to summarize, patient has acute MI, they're not dyspneic, their pulse ox is above 94%. Um, using room air is just as effective and maybe even better than using oxygen. If patients have other concerns, they are dyspneic, their pulse ox is low, they have uh, some complicating feature, oxygen probably still plays a role. Any final thoughts to add? Yeah, one thing is if you are giving people oxygen, always use care if they have COPD and are CO2 retainers. Um, that can be a dangerous situation. And, you know, whenever we say things like uh, give it if their oxygen level is above 94%. We always get into the question, well, what if it is 94%? And there's some disagreement amongst the guidelines. I think 94% uh, or higher is generally considered uh, a threshold where you have normal oxygen and you wouldn't need the uh, supplemental oxygen. And, and I think probably clinical discretion is probably available Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Alan. Uh, joining us today was Dr. Alan Ehrlich in discussing another groundbreaking change in how we approach something very significant, an acute MI. This is Frank Domino. Thank you for joining us on Frankly Speaking, and join us next week when we talk about how to prevent an opioid-related death. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking about family medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. We want to keep making this podcast better with every episode, so we need your feedback. Tell us what you think by submitting your feedback via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or log into primed.com and submit your feedback at the bottom of the episode landing page. Thank you again for listening.